Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Deuteronomy 31.6 Dear God, please walk with me and guide me as I venture out into the world today. Hold my hand as I encounter new people and places. There's so much that I want to accomplish in my life. Remind me to be courageous and allow me to take risks so that I can reach my goals. Father, help me to realize that it is you who is with me every step of the way. I know that whatever I may face today, you will never give me more than I can handle. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's daily prayer. For more inspiration and an incredible message from our feature pastor, stay tuned to Pray.com's Sunday Service. Welcome to Pray.com's Sunday Service, sponsored by Altrua HealthShare. Follow this podcast and listen weekly to receive godly wisdom and practical advice for daily living. Stay tuned for Sunday Service, coming up after a quick word from our sponsors. There's an innovative, better way to find health care. We're Altrua HealthShare, an affordable and flexible way to take care of your family. We're a community of like-minded, health-conscious individuals who share in each other's medical needs. And you can customize your health care your way with Altrua HealthShare. You can build your membership based on your season of life and your family's needs. Head to myshare.org to find out more. That's myshare.org. Altrua HealthShare, where we care for one another. Too good and so true. And we all know the saying, that's just too good to be true. How many of y'all have ever said it, thought it? That's just too good to be true. But what we're going to talk about in these next two weeks is this thing called the new covenant that is too good and so true. And we'll get into it. We'll dive deep. We're going to, today we're going to kind of hit the fourth gear and look at lots and lots of scriptures, kind of go boom, 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 and then we'll tighten a bow. So if you've got your pencils, get them sharpened. If you've got your iPads or your phones, get them turned down, look up these Bible verses with us, and and just stay with us because it's going to be straight up teaching, straight up teaching on how good is this new covenant. We've heard about the new covenant. We've heard about Jesus died on the cross. We've heard about the finished work. We've heard so many things all these years. And in part, we all have understanding and revelation on it. And yet, how many of you guys know with God, he is always peeling back the layers of the onion. He's always peeling back and giving us more and more revelation, more and more insight on literally what happened in the new covenant. So that's going to be our goal today. I know we have different, you know, people from different experiences in God and different understandings of the Bible, and some of you are, are brand new to faith, and this is going to be so good for your foundation. Others of you have been walking with the Lord for a lot of years, and you need this reminder, you need this booster shot of how good the new covenant is. And all the people said, 
Amen. 2 Corinthians 9.15 is, um, is a great verse for this weekend. It says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And as we will see, Jesus is the indescribable gift. And what he did for us on the cross is an indescribable gift. And the, the one thing God cannot give to himself, I mean, he can give himself anything. He owns the world and all that is in it. All the cattle on the hills, all the silver and gold is the Lord's. He can give himself anything he wants. However, the one thing he won't give himself is thanksgiving. That's the privilege we have is to give God thanks for his goodness, his indescribable gift. And I'm praying for you guys and for our two weeks together that by the end of today and for sure by the end of next week that there's something that really wells up in your heart that's like, man, God, I haven't thanked you enough for this. I mean, if, if all you really want from me is thanks, I, I can give you thanks for this indescribable gift. So on this Thanksgiving weekend, let's do it. And all the people said, so too good to be true. Here's a couple of memes for you because you know how much I like memes. Here's one for you. <clears throat> how many of you guys remember the cartoon Tom and Jerry? When your life is perfect for the first time ever, so the morning has to be all like, ha, no. You see what Tom did? I knew it was too good to be true. When life's been treating you a little bit too good lately, how many of you, the temptation is, that's suspicious. <laughs> I remember years ago, our uh, other son, you guys, some of you guys will remember Luke. Luke and Kelsey, they've been in Australia for the last eight years, and they're coming home next month in December, coming home for good, like moving back to the USA. So we're very, very happy about that. Have all of our kids in the United States. It's just a blessing. I'm thankful. But I remember we were in our other building, Romance, the other building, and Luke was probably eight or nine, I don't know, but it was during worship. We were on the front row, as we would be, and we were in worship, you know, and I looked over down the road at the kids, and everybody's worshiping, and Luke's right next to me, and he's got his hands up, and his eyes are closed, and he's worshiping, and I'm having this mom moment, like, oh, this is too good to be true, but it's true. Look at him. Look at him. Worship me, God. And I'm thinking God's probably speaking to him, you know, something, and so, because he was like so into it. It was just such a blessing to my heart, right? So then he pulls on my, on my shirt, mom, mom, mom. And I'm like, yes, Luke? Thinking, what was the revelation that God gave you? Mom, mom. So I leaned over, he goes, can we get a foosball table? <laughs> Pop. That was the sound of the balloon. Pop. It was too good to be true for just a moment. But we all have moments like that where you think, is it, is it really that good? Is it really, is it really true? Well, today we're going to answer some questions. And here are the questions we're going to answer today and next week. We're going to kind of get into these, okay? So let me read you a list. Do you sometimes struggle with the idea that to be pleasing to God, you should do more, be more, pray more, love more, read more, or serve more? Like the current version of you is not enough. Do you wonder if you're missing one of the key steps or secrets to a happy life, a better marriage, success on the job, or more friends? Do you work on your holiness, your service, your sin management, and yet feel angry 
with people who are at rest, having fun, and enjoying life in God's grace? Do you find it hard to believe your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven? Do you pray, read, attend church to keep God happy or because you want to? Here's some more questions. You guys doing good so far? Do you think God expects you to be perfect? Do you wonder how much sin is too much? What if someone calls themselves a Christian but wants to live in sin? Do you know how forgiven you are? Do you believe you've been made the righteousness of God because of what you do or because of what Jesus has done? Do you want to sin more because of God's goodness? Do you want to know how good and how true the new covenant is? And all the people said, amen. These are some of the questions that are sort of unspoken often that we have internally. We sometimes just wonder like, okay, being a Christian, Yay, thank you, Jesus. But like, ah, what does it all mean to me practically? So here's the scripture, Hebrews 6. If you got your Bibles, pull these out. Little, a little bit later, once we start tying things in a bow, I'm going to put up three slides in a row. And I really want to encourage you, and I'll give you a heads up. Pull out your camera and take a picture of those three slides. You're going to want to refer to those as a, as a summary of what we talk about today, okay? But here's what it says in Hebrews 6 verse 1. So let us stop going over the basic teachings of Christ. Now you guys know I'm a basics person. I love the basics. Get a grip on the basics. It's what I've given my life to for the last 40 years, teaching the Bible basics. And I will continue to. However, listen to this. Let's stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds, placing our faith in God. You don't need further instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Verse 3, and so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. Well, the basics are essential. You've got to have a good foundation. You've got to build on the foundation of all those things mentioned. You've got to build your Christian life on that good foundation, but also we want to go on to further understanding. This is Hebrews 6. The rest of Hebrews, he takes us on a journey of further understanding and really expounds on the new covenant. So in many ways, it's actually basic. The new covenant is actually basic in many, many ways, but right on the other hand, it is progressive and it's further understanding. So that's where we will go. We are going to hopscotch through Hebrews here in just a minute. But let me give you a couple of definitions. How good is the new covenant? Well, you're probably wondering, you may be wondering, what is a covenant? <laughs> What's that word even mean? It's not a word we use that often. What is a covenant? Here, I'll give you the definition. A covenant is a strong, solemn agreement between two parties. Sometimes we would use the word contract, maybe. But in the Bible, we have the Old Covenant and we have the New Covenant, sometimes called the Old Will and Testament or the New Will and Testament, sometimes called the Old System and sometimes called the New System. Now, on the slides throughout, I did my best to make sure that all the green ink 
on the slide is representing the old covenant and the blue is representing the new covenant. So that'll help you to, to follow along. So if there's an old and if there's a new, what's the difference? And why does it matter to us? Well, it does matter, and we're going to look at the difference today. So go back in your Bible to Exodus. This is one reference among many to the old covenant, what God set up, what he established with his people way back, way back when. Exodus 19, verse 5 says, Now, if you will obey me, if, everybody say if, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me, the Lord speaking to his people. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. Now get this, verse 8. And all the people responded together. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. In the Old Covenant, God said, hey, if you'll do all my commandments, if you'll obey me and keep all my ways, my blessings will come upon you. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. We'll have a great relationship. You'll be a light to the world. And the people said, we'll do it. We will keep all of your commandments. So what exactly were they to keep? Well, there are 613 commands in the Old Testament. 613. Things about food. Bye-bye lobster. Bye-bye shrimp. How many of you already blew it? You blew it yesterday. <laughs> 613 commands about worship, about the tabernacle, about all kinds of things. Health. So many health regulations under the old covenant. There were 10 commandments. Of course, we know, all of us know the big 10, right? The big 10 commandments that was part of the Old Covenant. And then, this you may or may not know, but the red letters in the Gospels that Jesus spoke, many, most, were part of the Old Covenant. He was speaking to the Jews. He wasn't speaking to the Christians yet. He was speaking to Israel. So even the red letters... Because sometimes as a Christian, we say, well, you know, okay, I get it. I'm not under the old, I'm under the new, but I have to live by the red letters. But actually, the red letters are impossible to keep. Anybody cut off an arm lately? How about plucked out an eye? If you're going to live by the red letters, you can't pick and choose. Right? So it was part of the old covenant, and the people said, we can do it. We're going to do it. But God knew they couldn't. In fact, we won't get into this, but the law, the Old Covenant, all the commands, the Ten Commandments, even things Jesus said in the Gospels, it was, it was said and it was given to, to identify, to show we can't keep it. We can't do it on our own. No big surprise to God, but we're not able to do it. So in the Old Covenant, and we'll get to the New here in just a second, but as opposed to the New the Old Covenant primarily is an if-then proposition. If you do this, then God will do this. We see it in Exodus. If you keep my commands, then I will do. Deuteronomy 28 is a classic chapter on the blessings and the curses of the Old Covenant, of the law. 
And the phraseology throughout is, if you do this, that if you keep all of my commands, then all these blessings will come upon you. If you don't keep all of my commands, then all of these curses will come upon you. The Old Testament, Old Covenant, is primarily an if-then. The New Covenant, we'll see, is a because-then. Because Jesus kept the law, fulfilled the law, kept all of the commandments, because of what Jesus did, then, under the New Covenant, I get the blessings. Not because I did it because he did it and all the people said now it's good to know that but then in practicality often in life we inadvertently slip back to an if then and God's wanting to help us stay in the because then because 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 of the wonderful things that he does Now, let's go to the New Covenant, then we're going to hopscotch, so you've got you to keep up. I'm going to talk fast, which will not be a problem, and y'all are going to read fast, okay? You're going to listen fast. <clears throat> Hebrews 8, let's pick up in Hebrews 8. But now, Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he's the one who mediates for us a far better covenant. Everybody say it with me. Far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. The old covenant, you can see at the bottom there, was based on people's faithfulness. Because they said, we'll do it. But the Lord found fault with the people. Do you see that? Not with the covenant, with the people. They couldn't keep it. It was based on their faithfulness to God. But the new covenant, now get this, and we'll explain this as we go. The new covenant is based on God's faithfulness to God, not God's faithfulness to us, per se. God's faithfulness to himself. It is far superior, far better, based on better promises. So the old covenant was based on man's faithfulness, and it was temporary. This new covenant is based on God's faithfulness, and we'll see it's permanent. It's forever. It's everlasting. And in just a minute, you'll see how it relates to your life practically. But let's keep hopscotching through. Hebrews 8, verse 9. This covenant will not be like the ones I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant. So I turned my back on them, says the Lord. Verse 10, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day. Now, you might have a little question mark saying, yeah, but we're not the people of Israel. Yeah, but we've been grafted in. We're part of the vine. We've been grafted in as a branch. Romans 10, 11, 12. But this is the new covenant. 
I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Who will do this? I will do this, God said. This is a God will do this. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. So let's talk about that just for a minute. We're going to revisit these words again when we get to Hebrews 10, because he reiterated it. But the essence of it was, God said, he'll do it. I will do it. Now, this new covenant is not going to be based on your faithfulness. Because in the Old Testament, it was the, the, the people's faithfulness failed. So this new covenant, I'm going to rig it. I'm going to set it up such that it's not based on their faithfulness. It's based on God's faithfulness. Here's what I'll do. I'll put my laws, not the law, not the 619 commandments, not the 10 commandments. We'll see his laws, which are in the new covenant, Jesus said, a new commandment, a new law, I'm going to give you. Love the Lord, love people. The law that we're under, the law that God writes in our hearts is the law of love, to love God and to love people. I will write my laws in their heart. And then he says, I will forgive their wickedness, and never again remember their sins. Now, that's going to be a redundant thing we're going to definitely come back to. But in essence, God's saying, look, I'm going to take out the heart of stone, the old nature. I'm taking it out, and I'm downloading a new nature. I'm going to give them a new operating system. My laws, the law of love the new commandment, the great commandment. I'm going to download that into their heart and their mind. And I will be their God. I mean, just that thought, you guys, just that thought. God's saying, I will be their God. They will be my people. Like we're his people. He's our God. And the onus is on him in this particular part. Then he says, I'll forgive all their sins, all their wickedness. Remember it no more. So we'll come back to that. Um, so hold that thought. I do want to mention a couple of examples, but let me, let me keep going. Let me keep hopscotching through Hebrews 8, verse 13. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he's made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. Now, in this context... Hebrews was written six years before Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. So as soon as the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem had a fall, that's when it disappeared completely. He said the old covenant is what? Obsolete. Disappeared, out of date. New covenant, in effect, current, visible. So let, let's talk about it just for a minute. Because what that means is we got to be careful that we don't mix the two covenants. we got to be careful that we don't try to live and behave under the old covenant plus the new covenant. 
because it's all or nothing. If you're gonna, if you want to live by both covenants, which is impossible, then you gotta quit eating lobster, shrimp, pork, cut out your eyes, cut off your hands. I mean, it's the whole purpose of a of it was to show us we can't. But we can't mix them. And I'll give you some examples of that. For example, years ago we heard a song. Um, in fact, over the years, you may or may not know this, but over the years, often we will have our worship team rewrite the words to certain songs. Very popular songs, sometimes. But there was one years ago, it was a, a worship song, and it was like crying out to the Lord, Oh Lord, rend the heavens and come down. And Jeff and I are listening to this song, and we're like, but he did. He already did rend the heavens and came down as a baby in the manger to be our savior. Sometimes we'll read a psalm, like Psalm 51 is the classic one. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. But he won't. And he already gave you a clean heart if Jesus is the Lord of your life. So see, we inadvertently go back to the Old Testament and then we think we're being noble or spiritual or something and we pray these Old Testament prayers and we live by these Old Covenant rules that are obsolete. And all the people said. So we want to find out what's the New Covenant then? If I'm not supposed to be living by the obsolete, what am I supposed to be living by? I don't dare step on this one. This is a sacred cow. Do I dare? Mm, maybe I do. <laughs> well, this is one. Yes, we should pray for our nation. Yes, we should pray for our president. Yes, we should pray for all those that are in authority. Yes, we should pray. But how many times have you been to a meeting and they pulled out the Old Testament scripture? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. Well, it's great, yes, but that's an old covenant obsolete prayer. Okay, that was a sacred cow. How many people are still mooing? <laughs> There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. We've all done it. Now, the new covenant does tell us, pray for kings and all those that are in authority, that you may lead peaceable and quiet lives in all godliness. So there's lots of New Testament stuff on prayer and praying for those in authority, but can you see how sneaky it is that we go back and live under the Old Covenant? It's obsolete, all the people said. Hey, I hope you are enjoying today's message, and I wanted to interrupt this program to bring you a special announcement. I wanted to offer you a free book that will help you grow in your relationship with the Lord. Just click the free book button on the Pray.com app or go to thebasicswithbeth.com to get your free copy of The Seven Basics. These seven truths will definitely set you up for an intimate and successful relationship with the Lord. Now, let's head back into our regularly scheduled program. All right, Hebrews 9, y'all still doing good? Okay, under the old system, the old system, the blood of goats and bulls, the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from the sinful deeds so we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as the perfect 
sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins they had committed under the first covenant. It was Jesus and his blood, we sing about it all the time, but it was the blood that was shed that confirmed the new covenant. Next week we're going to share communion together. But Jesus said this about that. In Mark 14, here's what he said, and we'll, we'll do this together as a church next Sunday. As they were eating, Mark 14, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces, gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank. And then here's the key. Jesus said these words, verse 24. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives, and shortly thereafter, Jesus went to the cross. He was foreshadowing his blood being shed would confirm the new covenant, making the old one obsolete. All right, Hebrews 10. Let me read these verses, and then we'll tie some things in a bow. Hebrews 10, verse 10. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. This is God's will, that we would be made holy through Jesus' sacrifice. Verse 11, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. Verse 14, you got to underline it, you got to circle it, you got to get this in your spirit. Annie and I were just talking about this verse the other day and, and how the revelation of this verse changes your life. She was telling me this story how she was in the middle of preaching. This is many years ago, preaching to the students in high school and got to this verse and it was like the Holy Spirit pulled the veil off on verse 14 and she stopped like in the middle of her preaching. And it was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Verse 14, for by that one offering, Jesus, his one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect. How perfect do I have to be? He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. You got to let that soak in because what happens to us, all of us, is then we start having the, yeah, but what abouts? Yeah, but, I mean, I blow it. I'm not perfect. Yeah, but what about so-and-so? And yeah, but what about, what about my past? And yeah, but what about my future? And ah. He forever I just want you to think about how freeing your life 
would be if we embraced the new covenant? What if God really isn't mad at you? What if his faithfulness to himself has made you perfect forever through the blood that was shed? And at that time, the old covenant became obsolete, and we entered into a new and better covenant, keyword better, based on better promises. Amen. Okay, hold the thought. Keep holding the thoughts. One more verse, and then I just want to tighten a bow here. Okay, or one more summary. Here's a summary. So far, of the new covenant. What is the new covenant then? What is it? Here are the articles of the new covenant. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. That's the new covenant. That means for you and I, God wrote right and wrong on the conscience of our mind, the law of love. We know it's wrong to hate. We know it's right to love. God embedded his desires on our heart. One person said we're allergic to sin and addicted to God. We're going to come back to that. But God, he, he changed the operating system. So in a nutshell, he wrote, he embedded his heart into our hearts. So people sometimes will say, yeah, but what about, like, if people heard this message, if people heard the new covenant was this good they would just run around and do whatever they want and live like sinners and just, you know, do whatever they want. No, they wouldn't. No, they couldn't. Because he's downloaded and embedded in our heart his desires. We want to do good. We want to please God. Does it mean we do it 100% of the time? No. But when we don't do it and we're in a trail of not doing it, internally we're not enjoying life. Because there's a magnet. There's been a magnet deposited in us that keeps pulling us back to God. And that same magnet, even though we may sin, we may sin for a season, we may sin for a time, we may be living in sin, that magnet is repelling us from the sin, even though we may be in it. The magnet on the inside is repelling us from it. We can't enjoy it. We can't have a clear conscience. We're not loving life. Because the magnet is pulling us over to God because he's written that in our heart. Amen. God initiated it. He's our God. We are his people. God forgave our sins. Now we, we, we'll tighten a bow with this. God forgave our sins, past, present, and future, never to be remembered. I want to... Take a few minutes here to tie some stuff in a bow. And then we're going to hit pause at the end of today and pick it up next week. But here's the hopscotch summary of what we've talked about so far as we've gone through Hebrews quickly. This is when you want to get your phone out and take pictures of these slides, okay? The new and the better covenant. The old and the new. What's the difference? How good is the new covenant? Number one, the old covenant was from Moses to Jesus, 1446 B.C., the new covenant is from Jesus' death on the cross to the present, 33 A.D. till now. 
Number two, it was for the descendants of Abraham. The new covenant's for the whole world. The old covenant had promises. The new covenant has better promises. The old covenant was about our works, our performance, our effort. The new covenant is about Jesus' works, rest, thanksgiving. The old covenant was if then to get the blessings. The new covenant is because then we are blessed. The old way was glorious. The new way is more glorious. We'll see that next week. The old way, you had to obey 613 commands of the law. The new way, you believe in Jesus who fulfilled the law. The old way, you keep the Ten Commandments. The new way, you live in the new commandment of love. The old way, you do the red letters of Jesus. The new way, you receive the finished work of Jesus. The old way, you are a sinner. The new way, you've been made righteous. The old way, they got once a year forgiveness. The new way, once for all time forgiveness. The old way, our sins were covered yearly through the blood of a lamb. The new way, our sins removed forever through the blood of the lamb. The old way, it's about what you do. The new way, it's about what Jesus has done. The old way, be holy. The new way, you've been made holy. This is a big one. You get under the old covenant real quick when you try to be holy. Of course, because you've got the new DNA and the magnet, you want to live a life pleasing to the Lord. But you've been made holy in his eyes. Uh, number 15, in the old way, be perfect. In the new covenant, you've been made perfect forever. You can't unperfect yourself. The old way, his words were engraved in stone. The new way, his words are engraved on your heart. The old Levitical priesthood was temporary. The new superior priesthood is permanent. The old covenant, the Holy Spirit was given to specific people for specific times. Under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit's been given to all who receive. Under the old covenant, they lived in fear and shame. Under the new covenant, we get to live bold and free. The old covenant, they had a guilty conscience. Under the new covenant, we can live with a pure conscience. Because who's been made perfect? We've been made perfect. Not because you are perfect. That's where the renewing of the mind comes in to go, God, this, help me get this. You can live with a pure conscience. Even though you're not perfect, you've been made perfect. And if you live in who you've been made to be, you live with a pure conscience. Old Testament, healed by obedience to the law. New Testament, healed by Jesus' stripes on the cross. Old Testament, blessed with abundance by obeying. New Testament, blessed with abundance by faith. Old Covenant, God's presence upon them. New Covenant, God's presence within us. Works and obedience to the law under the old grace and faith under the new. The old was based on man's faithfulness to God. The new is based on God's faithfulness to himself. The old people were convicted of self-righteousness. In the new covenant, 
he confirms us in his righteousness. Under the old, sins forgiven daily and annually. Under the new, sins forgiven completely and eternally. Under the old, it's obsolete. And the new is forever. And all the people said. Now, woo -woo. how does this affect us practically? This is what I want you to get. Because the biggest hiccup often, a couple of hiccups here for people, one is getting revelation on the idea that your sins have been forgiven completely for eternity. All of your sins, past, present, and future. Since you haven't even committed yet. Because the truth is, when Jesus went to the cross, all of our sins were future at that time. So it's not like, oh, well, all my sins were forgiven when I accepted Jesus. All my past sins were forgiven. But now I have to confess my sins every day because, you know, I have to make sure those get forgiven. No, those were forgiven. You were made perfect by the one sacrifice for all time. And we're going to talk next week because the other stumbling block for people is, yeah, but what about, what about sin? What about, what do we do with that? Well, don't do it, okay. <laughs> but, but what about it? So we're going to talk about that next week. But let me read you some quotes. These are great quotes just to help paint the picture of what we've been covering. Andrew Womack, a great Bible teacher, and I see you guys from uh, Karis. Um, has a, he's a Karis Bible College founder. Here's what he said, most people, including Christians, see the forgiveness of sins as something that God can do and continues to do, but not as something he has completed. From that comes the false concept that we must constantly confess our sins, which makes us and keeps us sin conscious. God doesn't want us conscious of sin, he wants us conscious of redemption. The New Testament presents the forgiveness of sins as something that is already accomplished. And the reason this is so important is because once you embrace this, it'll help you live the John 10, 10 life, live the abundant life, live the overcoming life, live the life your heart wants to live. But because of the enemy and fear and guilt and shame and all the stuff, we're stuck back here, not fully free. Because we're like, yeah, I don't, think, I don't think that's for me. I think that's for the other good people. But God's wanting us to say, no, it's for you. It's completed. Here's another great quote from a Bible commentator. The freeness of this pardon, it does not result from merit in man, but from mercy in God. He pardons for his own name's sake. The fullness of this pardon, it extends to their unrighteousness, sins, and iniquities, to all kinds of sin. The finality of this pardon, it is so final and so fixed that God will remember their sins no more. He will not even recall his pardon. He will not only forgive their sins, but forget them. Treat them as if he had forgotten them. Unpardoned sin prevents mercy and pulls down judgment. But the pardon of sin prevents judgment and opens a wide door to all spiritual blessings forever. This is the excellency of the new covenant, and these are the articles of it. And therefore, we have great reason to rejoice that the old covenant is obsolete and has vanished away. And all the people said, 
Here's some more. You guys good? Let me give you a couple more. Amen. Andrew Farley, a pastor, Bible teacher, you're allergic to sin. You're addicted to Jesus. That's that magnet thing. So God, God can trust us because he's put his nature in us. He's put a magnet in us. We're allergic to sin. We're repelled by it. Even though we may commit it, we can't live in it with joy. We're repelled by it, and we're magnetized, drawn back to Christ. We're addicted to God. We're allergic to sin. You're going to prove this truth one way or another, by sinning and being miserable, or by trusting Jesus and being fulfilled. Either way, you prove sin won't work for you. God has empowered you to live in a new and better way. In the same way, the Bible says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Count yourself. Reckon it. Accept it. Dead to sin, alive to God. This isn't about you naming or claiming something to make it true. This is about you living in the reality that you don't want to sin. That's right. You don't really want to sin. You may feel you do, but you don't. You have a new default setting. You have a new normal. You're allergic to sin and addicted to righteousness. You may feel you want to sin, he says it again, but you're going to prove your new identity one way or another. You've got to get this. This will free some of you up. You're going to prove your new identity one way or another by sinning and being miserable or by expressing Jesus and being fulfilled. He goes on, you can't escape your destiny of displaying Christ. You're fused to him, bonded to him forever. You can't get away from your new core desires. When we're worried about too much grace, and that's what you hear sometimes, it's because our view of grace is puny and pitiful. Some see grace as simply mercy for when we fail or a ticket to heaven or God canceling our debts. Sure, those things are a part of God's grace, but let's not settle for anything less than the fullness of God's grace. In his grace, God took a spiritual scalpel and cut out your sinful heart and replaced it with a beautiful new heart that always loves Jesus. How many times have you heard stories, seen testimonies of people, the prodigal son walked away from God for some time often? But all the time, there was that drawing back to God, drawing back to the Father in their heart. They could look like they're a million miles from God. But God always, if they're truly born again, if they're truly a believer, that magnet is on the inside, always pulling them back. That's part of what God's grace did too. God can afford to put us under grace with no limits because his grace doesn't stop at forgiveness. He gives us new spiritual passions and desires. You guys good? I got a couple more I want you to see. We're getting to the grand finale here, so hold tight. Joseph Prince, pastor in Singapore. Only Jesus, who lives outside of time, can forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future. At the cross, Jesus paid the price of your sins and redeemed you. The law, now get this, the law of double jeopardy, states that sins cannot be tried twice so god would be unjust if he tried the same sin twice since god judged all your sins in jesus body on the tree he cannot judge them in yours 
I'm going to say it again. Since God judged all your sins, all your sins, past, present, and future, in Jesus' body on the cross, he cannot judge them in yours. God sees everything from beginning to end. He sees all your sins on Jesus at the cross, all forgiven. When you understand how deeply forgiven you are, you will live out these benefits. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all of his benefits who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Hallelujah. Let me tell you what double jeopardy is, because this is one you gotta, you gotta leave with this in your spirit. The concept of double jeopardy is well established in constitutional law. The Fifth Amendment of the US Constitution says, nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be tried twice, put in jeopardy of life or limb. According to God's justice, we are all guilty of sin and death. But because we've received Jesus, every sin we've ever committed or will commit has been fully prosecuted upon Christ on the cross. And once is all that the law demands. Now we are unpunishable. There are still consequences, which we're going to get to next week. There are still consequences when we sin. But as far as the eternal penalty of the law is concerned, Jesus' substitutionary death places us in the wonderful position of being exempt from punishment. When we believe in Christ, we receive God's pardon and escape sin's penalty. Thank God for his principle of double jeopardy. There was a story of a young man, 27-year-old man in Vermont, who was tried for murder, ki uh, killing a co-worker, and was found not guilty, was pardoned, was found not guilty. Years later, he went to the police and confessed that he was the one that did it. They took it to the attorney general, and the attorney general said, my hands are tied, double jeopardy. He can't be tried for the same crime. When Jesus took all of our sins upon himself on the cross, they were punished on him. God will not put us in double jeopardy. That is a liberating truth to go, God, I don't want to sin. I'm not planning to sin, but thank you. Thank you that like for the rest of my days, forever, you've perfected us by that one sacrifice. Now I can live in freedom and be the Christian you've called me to be. So we're going to hit pause, but in, in people's minds, often you cover these kinds of things. They're, they're asking the question that was asked in Romans 6.1. What shall we say to all this? Should we continue in sin and practice sin as a habit so that God's gift of grace may increase and overflow? Certainly not. And how can we? The very ones who died to sin continue to live in it any longer. We're going to come back to that next week. We're going to talk about, okay, now in practical terms, how do I live this out and what if I sin and what, you know, how, does, how do I stay free in the new covenant and access all the blessings because then, not if then? All right, so I'm going to hit pause. Boom, right there's pause. But before we go, 
I do want to say this. There is only one sin that will keep a person out of heaven and will send a person straight to hell. And I do want to talk about it because it's important, it's sober, and it's necessary. Hebrews 10 verse 26 says this, For if we sin willfully, after having received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer a sacrifice remaining for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. What is the willful sin? If we sin willfully, what, what is that willful sin? Are you saying, now are you going back and saying, oh, if we sin after we know all this, oh. Nope. The willful sin is the sin of rejecting Jesus, of rejecting what he did on the cross. That's the willful sin. Jesus called it blaspheming the Holy Spirit, resisting, rejecting the Holy Spirit's work. It's the one sin, it's the only sin that will send someone to hell and keep them out of what God has planned for them in heaven for eternity. It's the sin of rejecting the new covenant, the finished work of the cross. But the Bible says, for God so loved the world, the whole world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. So we don't want anybody to leave here today or anybody online to, to leave today without the opportunity to receive Christ, to receive and to enter into the new covenant. The willful sin is the sin of unbelief. It's a sin of rejecting Jesus, but that one's easily fixed by simply believing. We're gonna pray a prayer together. And if you've never received Jesus as your Lord, you've never fully accepted Christ, his finished work, all this stuff we just talked about, today's your day. Thanksgiving weekend, this is your time. So let's do it together. Say it with me, say, Heavenly Father, I come before you and I am so grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross. Lord, thank you. And today, I make a decision. Jesus, I don't want to sin willfully by rejecting you. So today, I repent. I turn towards you. And I say, Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I confess Jesus Christ is now the Lord of my life. Help me be the person you've called me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. I really hope you were encouraged. And if you were, I would love to hear from you. Please email us to let us know what the Lord is doing in your life. And don't forget to get your free copy of the Seven Basics book by clicking the free book button on the Pray.com app. Also, if these messages are encouraging you, would you like to help us help more people learn the Bible basics? You can. By making a donation of any amount, you will partner with us and help us keep these programs going to people around the world. It's easy to become a partner. Just click the Give button on the Pray.com app or go to the Basics with Beth 
www.thepeopleshow.com to make a donation. Together, we can continue to help people learn the Bible basics. So thanks again for tuning in today. I can't wait to see you right here on Pray.com next time. The podcast, The Bible in a Year with Jack Graham, is a moving and inspiring biblical audio experience that will help you master wisdom from the world's greatest book. In each episode, you'll learn to apply biblical principles to everyday life. Each cinematic episode is a journey through the Bible's most profound stories that will strengthen your appreciation of the Word and inspire you to keep learning. Listen to The Bible in a Year with Jack Graham on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.